As you take your seats, I ask that you would reflect with me on the topic, Our Wings Are Waiting. And I even ask that you might say to yourself, My Wings Are Waiting. The Gospel of John, of which we have just heard so powerfully read, reveals the identity of Jesus. In this gospel, we learn that Jesus is the Word, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, life, resurrection, and the vine. We see several identity statements made by Jesus, even throughout the book. And now, in this moment, where we reach the final or the finale of this gospel text, we enter into the scene where Pilate questions Jesus's identity before the crescendo of his crucifixion. We enter into a legal drama of Christ on trial. In today's text, we see a miscarriage of justice and the conviction of a man accused of a crime that he didn't commit. By the time Jesus gets to this exchange with Pilate, he's already had five preliminary hearings as noted throughout the four Gospels' perspectives of this moment in Jesus' journey to the cross. Jesus was arrested by Jewish officials and brought before the former high priest Annas for a preliminary hearing. Then he was sent to a hearing before the ruling high priest Caiaphas, then a hearing before the Sanhedrin, then his first hearing before Pilate, then his hearing before Herod, And now we encounter this last hearing once again before Pilate. And although Pilate knows that Jesus is innocent, he condemns him to death by crucifixion in an effort to save himself, his career, his self-interest in this moment was stronger than his sense of justice. At its most basic definition, a trial is a fact-finding mission toward justice. What we witness in this trial of Jesus is what happens when bias and cowardice and self-interest disrupt and distract the mission for justice. This is not only the trial of the decade or the trial of the century, it is the trial for the soul of humanity. In the trial, in our text, what is actually on the stand is Jesus's identity and all that hinges on that identity. The first identity question that Pilate asks him Are you the king of the Jews? And I love that Jesus doesn't answer him directly. Of course, it's to fulfill the Isaiah prophecy, but it also reminds us that if you have to say you're the king, perhaps you're not. Or perhaps our actions should speak louder than our words. The second identity question that he's asked is, well, what did you do? And again, Jesus didn't answer. When reading the text, I was bursting at the seams. I wanted to jump up and witness to his actions and defend his character and say, he healed a blind man named Bartimaeus. He's so full of grace and healing that the very hem of his garment healed a woman who had been suffering with an issue of blood for 12 years. He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He cast a demon out of a man and sent it into a herd of pigs. He is a master chef 
who could take a little bit of this and a little bit of that, just five barley loaves and two fish and feed more than 5,000? I mean, he walked on water. He spoke to a woman at a well, told her all about herself, set her free and her testimony, then set many free. And in case someone tries to invoke the rules of evidence and protest that all of what I just said was hearsay, I would then testify what he's done for me. He saved my soul and healed my body, set me free and instilled purpose and passion within. But instead of that opportunity to stand up and witness for this Jesus, the momentum of the miscarriage of justice wins and nails our Jesus to the cross. This is an ugly moment in the story of humanity. It is a moment where we see selfish and riotous mobs rule, attempt to overtake justice and love and mercy. If we're honest, it's not unlike what we've witnessed in our own country, a place founded on the ideals of justice and freedom. The architect of liberation theology, the late James Cone, wrote in his book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree, that the conspicuous absence of the lynching tree in American theological discourse and preaching is profoundly revealing, especially since the crucifixion was clearly a first century lynching. This moment of Jesus hanging on the cross is gruesome. It's dark. I mean, can you, can you picture it? This is the climatic crescendo of Jesus's prophecy throughout the Gospels. The Gospels in which he reveals through parables and teachings, through good news and fish and bread, through sheep, sheep and goats, bent over women and well encounters, through meals and miracles that he would one day die for us. Jesus says in the book of Matthew, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a sea monster. So for three days and three nights, the son of man will be in the heart of the earth. This crescendo reverberated throughout the earth. And not only was it witnessed by people, but even the universe responded. Matthew's account goes on to say that at the moment of the crucifixion and the death of Christ, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks split. James Weldon Johnson poetically wrote in his poem, Crucifixion, that the time of the crucifixion, the midday sun refused to shine. The thunder rumbled and the lightning wrote in an unknown language in the sky, what a day, Lord, what a day, when my blessed Jesus died. Oh, I tremble. Yes, I tremble. Luke's account says, and darkness came over the whole land. The sun's light failed and the curtain was torn. And he says that when all the crowds who had gathered for the spectacle left, Jesus' acquaintances, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. 
In this moment, I think we're part of those acquaintances, including the women, watching the spectacle of Jesus, hanging, bleeding, gasping on a cross. What do you think they were thinking as they watched? Perhaps they thought we followed Jesus, we know about the miracles, and now he's crucified? I mean, we left everything we knew to follow Jesus. We had great hopes for the future. We had great joy in the moment of the miracle. Were they thinking about the three years of Jesus's ministry full of prophecy, sermons, parables, miracles? Were they imagining? So was it all for naught? Has all hope been lost? Has that light that I saw at the end of the tunnel been darkened forever? As Jesus dies upon the cross and then is buried in a tomb, there's still no sign of the resurrection. Remember, we know how the story goes, but they're in it. We're in it with them right now. We don't have a resurrection happening immediately. We're in the moment of crucifixion and beholding this gruesome sight. Tagging on to James Cone's connection of the cross and the lynching tree, I'm drawn to the poignant image that Billie Holiday paints in her song entitled Strange Fruit. She sings, southern trees bear strange fruit, blood on the leaves and blood at the root, black bodies swinging in the southern breeze, strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. Here is a fruit for the crows to pluck, for the rain to gather, for the wind to suck, for the sun to rot. For the tree to drop, here is a strange and bitter cry. We're not supposed to feel comfortable in this moment. And it is upon this cross that Jesus cries. He cries out, woman, here's your son. Son, here's your mother. He cries, I am thirsty. He cries, it is finished. These cries of Jesus call attention to Jesus's humanity. He cares for relationships. He's thirsty. He calls attention to his flesh. He puts his flesh, his humanity on center stage in this moment. And I believe that has to happen in order for us to feel connected to him. Jesus' thirst validates his humanity, for he is fully God and fully human. And it is this validation that validates our faith in one who has gone before and taken upon himself all of our iniquities, all of our pain. All of our brokenness and imperfections so that one day we could lean on this Jesus, call on this Jesus, 
cry out to this Jesus our own pain and brokenness. These cries connect us to our humanity and pull us into the realization that we too have crucifixion moments. If we're fully honest in our faith walk, we have days that don't go well. We have prayed and we're still waiting on answers. We've said some things we shouldn't have said. We've grieved our own souls. We have brokenness. Just like Jesus hanging on the cross, some of our marriages are hanging on the cross. Some of our relationships with our children are hanging on the cross. Some of our hopes and dreams are hanging on the cross. And it's dark. What do you do in the darkness? Before you rush to Sunday, what do you do on Saturday? We're preparing to enter into Saturday. When it's dark outside, how do you see? How do you cope? How do you live? How do you keep on keeping on? How do you keep preaching words of encouragement, singing songs to lift spirits, being the parent who imbues hope to your children? How do you do it when it's dark, when hope appears lost? The darkness is scary and unknown and unfamiliar. There are sounds, but no light. Have you ever been there? It's one thing to show yourself to be holy. It's another thing to struggle your life to be all that you understand God calling you to be. You know the promises of God, but you may see loss and brokenness and misery. God where are you? Have you, as Christ cries, forsaken me? Between the crucifixion and the resurrection, we must often sit in that pain. We can't always rush to the resurrection because there's something in the midst and meantime moment that is necessary to prepare us to be all that we were created to be. I know it's a tough word. It's a tough moment in the life of any faith journey, but it is one that we can't short shrift. We can't shortcut our way through. It is one that even our Jesus had to go through. It is in that moment that we have to hold on to our faith with a tenacity sometimes never experienced before. It is in that moment that you have to defy your reality and circumstance and still proclaim a doxology in the darkness. Paul did it in a jail cell when he said, now unto him who is able to keep me from falling, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than I could ever imagine because all I see is darkness, chains, and brokenness. Proclaiming a doxology in the darkness inspires your faith at its lowest. As much as Jesus didn't want to go through this moment, don't get it wrong. He didn't want this cross. He asked God to take his cup and then said in a faithful moment, but not my will, your will be done. 
He had to go through it. Why? For you and for me. For the amazing grace of God to be extended to us. For us to know that he paid the price so that our sins can't take us out. So that you and I can have a second chance. Anyone need a second chance? That we can have a third chance. Anyone need a third, a fourth, a fifth? Lord God, have you ever seen a caterpillar crawling on the ground? Such a vulnerable, not even inch by inch, half a centimeter by half a centimeter progression, could so easily be squashed. But the caterpillar could one day become a soaring butterfly with multicolored wings. But to get to the soaring state, it must first go through the cocoon. I know if you've ever seen it, it's, it's tempting because you see movement within the cocoon. It's tempting to want to set it free, open it early, do your liberating job of setting the caterpillar free. But it is in that moment, that cocoon, that crucifixion darkness moment, that transfiguration occurs. And if we let it out too soon, scientists tell us that there is a, a, a chemical that, that is released when the caterpillar becomes a butterfly and it breaks itself out of the cocoon. And that chemical strengthens the wings. But not only that, the process of, of transfiguring within that cocoon develops the muscles needed to carry and flap the wings. I know times get tough. Times get dark. We feel as though God has left us. And perhaps we ask like the psalmist, where can I go from your spirit, O God, for I need you now. And God says, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, O God. The night is as bright as the day and the darkness becomes as light to you. Hold on, my brother and my sister. The darkness will soon be as a resurrected light to us. And when it does, your wings will be waiting for you. Amen.